Hi everyone, welcome to our podcast, Climate Change and Health in a Post-COVID-19 World. My name is Nigel Sullivan, I'm Bupa's Chief People Officer and I'm the co-executive sponsor of our Environment and Climate Change Agenda. I'm also, from a SINS, a formal, former environmental scientist, so it's a topic that has remained in my heart for many years now. We're recording this panel discussion to celebrate World Environment Day, a chance to think about how we can protect our planet as we recover from the impact of this devastating pandemic. In a matter of months, our world has changed a lot for most of us. The human cost has been big, and we've now passed 350,000 deaths, um, and the number of cases has reached almost 6 million as of last week. And it's not over yet, particularly the impact of the economic situation still to be fully realised. Our thoughts are with those who have lost loved ones. No one has been left unaffected by it. The most extensive travel restrictions since World War II are in place. Worldwide flights are being cancelled, cars were out of action and trains have been running on reduced services, as most people are no longer travelling long distances. In cities, normally bustling bars, shops, theatres have been closed. Those who are able to do so are holed up at home, practising social distancing and working remotely. Others haven't got that choice, obviously. All this change has led to some unexpected consequences. Compared to this time last year, levels of air pollution have dramatically reduced around the world. But this is largely temporary and a cosmetic thing. Air travel makes about 2% uh, of carbon emissions worldwide. There are still 7 billion of us on the planet and providing the products, the food, the energy that we require or desire far outweighs the travel restriction effects. The planet will still be warming at an alarming rate. Like COVID-19, climate change also has serious implications for people's mental and physical health. The World Health Organization estimates that preventing a two degree rise in global temperatures could save one million lives a year worldwide by 2050 through reductions in air pollution alone. High levels of air pollution exacerbate cardiovascular and respiratory disease and extreme heat contributes directly to deaths from these conditions, particularly among the elderly. Climate change can also impact patterns of infection, strongly affecting diseases transmitted through cold-blooded animals. In the wake of COVID-19, there is a danger that climate change gets displaced by you know, a nasty, clever virus, which is certainly a threat to humanity. But climate change is an existential threat to all living things on Earth. So at Bupa, we remain committed to playing our part to respond to the effects of climate change, and making a positive contribution to the health of the wider community. We already do a lot, including investing in renewable energy, our foundations, and in the field of mental well-being. We actively manage our environmental impact, and we're sco currently scoping science-based targets so that we can start measuring against these from 2021. Looking to the future, we are updating our environmental and climate change strategy to build on our progress to date and strengthening, strengthening our action in line with the latest climate science and in the light of COVID-19. Look, I'd like to say a huge thanks to all of our panellists who are joining us today. It should make for a really interesting discussion. So, without further ado, joining us we have Cathy Cummings. Cathy is the Director of Corporate Responsibility and Public Affairs for our business, businesses in Europe and Latin America. Hello, Cathy. Anna Russell. Anna is the Director of Corporate Responsibility and 
responsibility for our UK business. Anna is also director of the Bupa UK Foundation. Welcome, Anna. And we also have Dr. Zoe Weiner. Zoe is a clinician by background and the head of public health for our business in Australia and New Zealand. Welcome, Zoe. So I'll kick off then. Um, if I can maybe uh, just maybe start with you, Kathy, coming to you first. I know our uh, Ella business has been increasingly focused on delivering healthcare virtually, even before the pandemic started. But could you talk a little bit about um, the sustainability benefit of doing doing this? Definitely. Um, I think that digital tools um, can very much be an ally in the fight against climate change. And there we're very much talking about video consultations, accessing test results online, um, patient consent forms filled out digitally, and obviously online medical history records. And um, we had already invested a lot in LS3 largest countries in these types of solutions in Spain, Poland, and Chile, um, mainly as a way to give better customer experience. But logically, one of the benefits we're seeing of that is also um, the, reduced, the reduced need for customers to travel to an appointment or to pick up their test results. And with that, you can generate huge savings um, on carbon emissions across the business. I'll, I'll give you a few examples of what we're seeing in, in Spain and the numbers we, we're starting to study. Um, through the video consultation service, you can have an appointment with your doctor, either in person or through your iPad or, or through your phone. And it's exactly the same person. So you decide what you prefer. And from that service, even if it's a video consultation service, your doctor can then prescribe tests to you. And then you can both see those results uploaded onto your medical history file when they come through. That means that if you want to go in for an appointment, you can. But if you don't want to, you can have all those consultations um, over your phone. And that means you can save at least two round trips to the doctors. And um, we studied this and we found that on average, people are traveling eight miles um, to every doctor appointment in Spain. Um, you know, we've separated those um, people who would also go on public transport. We've also separated the visits under a mile that people would probably walk. But we're still seeing um, huge savings if um, you know we continue at the rate we're currently seeing of people using video consultations and accessing their results online. Um, last year in Spain, we were seeing about 300 video consultations a day, but that's now gone up to 5,000 a day in Spain um, after the pandemic. Um, if you add the 2 million results that people also accessed online for their results, that's a huge savings. I mean, we're talking about several tons. Now, we don't want to be flippant about these savings. So we are actually talking to Carbon Trust to get them to help us to calculate it in an honest way and apply what they call the net carbon saving, because obviously there's energy you will use um, through digital tools, so you can't ignore that altogether. But even in initial talks with them, the feeling is that we will be saving um, huge amounts of uh, carbon emissions thanks to the reduced uh, transport requirements. And there's also obviously savings with regards to paper and x-ray plates because they've all become digital. And there are other projects coming through as well, such as Connected Health, that would allow us 
to monitor patients with chronic illnesses who are convalescing at home and also avoid their need to be coming in and out um, of the hospital for checkups. Now, obviously, this isn't applicable to everyone and it's not everybody's cup of tea um, to work digitally with their doctor. But I think that if you take that on average in Spain, people visit their doctors about 10 times a year and at least half of those visits don't require any direct contact, it starts to give you an idea of how much of an impact digital healthcare could have from a sustainability point of view. And um, I think, you know, not only are they an ally there, they've also proved to be a great ally um, during the whole COVID situation as well. So it definitely seems to be the way to go forward for numerous reasons. Thank you, Cathy. And, and you know, I think it's, it's, it's a great showcase, but it's not the only showcase. We're, we're seeing this trend across all of our market units as well. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's happening across the whole business, which is fantastic. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Anna, turning to you, uh, great to see you virtually. Um, um, you know, um, can you talk about what's been done in, in uh, the UK to reduce carbon emissions in our business? Uh, absolutely, Nigel. And we've been working really hard to reduce those emissions year on year. And that doesn't happen by accident. You actually have to make changes in your infrastructure. So we've invested in things like greener energy systems in our care homes because they obviously use a lot of energy, but also things like more efficient lighting, so LED lighting. There's also a piece about kind of monitoring and managing your energy consumption so that you can see actually where are the hot spots and actually take action to do something about it. So by all means, we don't have everything perfect. We've got a lot of work to do, but there's lots of things that we have put in place to make a difference. One thing um, that we did last year, which was a really important step for us, is that we now offset any carbon that we emit. That's not a long-term answer, by the way, but I think it is an important step for us as an organisation. And we pay into a UN-backed um, reforestation and green energy scheme so that we make sure that we're actually offsetting at least the carbon that we do emit. Um, it's a good step forward, but it's not kind of necessarily the long-term solution to become truly carbon neutral. So there are a few things that we are doing. There's a lot of work to be done, but I'll just share a couple of the other things that we're looking at and or doing at the moment. So the first is that across Boop Global in UK, or the UK, we're investing in green energy. So in our UK business, all of our energy comes from green sources. The other thing that um, we were talking about at the beginning of this session um, is trying to reduce travel. And I think it's um, extraordinary that in during the pandemic, so I think in April, carbon emissions globally dropped by 17%. Um, and in cities, that was up by 70%, which came largely from actually having fewer cars on the road. So I think we were already talking to our people about how do we reduce travel? And as Kathy was saying to customers about how we reduce travel to appointments where that's possible to do it. So I think um, we've got a really good opportunity now to start thinking about challenging ourselves and challenging others to work differently and to 
travel much less. The other thing that we have been doing a lot of work on is the reduction of single-use plastic and, where possible, the elimination of single-use plastic in our organisation. So in our offices, we've done a huge amount of work to get rid of um, things like plastic cutlery is gone, kind of plastic boxes for people putting their lunch into um, the single-use cups as well, so encouraging people to, to bring in keep cups and using those, but also within a clinical environment as well. So we've done a lot of work in the clinics and the dental centres to eliminate that single-use plastic wherever we can. And we are lucky that many of our people are really passionate about this topic as well and want to support. And it's a really live topic at the moment because of the increased need for PPE. Quite often that PPE is made of plastic. So we're now looking at how do we do that in a more sustainable way as well. We certainly don't have all the answers, but it's very much on our mind in terms of how we do it. So there's lots of work for us to do. We've made really good progress. One thing that I did just want to mention as well that um, that this week I'm really proud that BG UK has um, been one of the corporates that has called on the Prime Minister, the British government, to make sure that as part of our economic recovery plan from COVID, this actively includes tackling climate change and that rather than kind of just prioritising economic recovery we need to do that in a way which is sustainable and also resilient so we can get to that net zero target as quickly as possible possible while building an inclusive economy at the same time so that that's where we're at thanks Anna that was, that was great and I think the um, we'll come on to this a little bit later on or all, all I love the, the bit of it's all of our responsibility to do something and uh, the engagement that that can that can achieve and we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later I'd like to come to Zoe now. Um, Zoe, thanks for joining us today, and uh, thank you very much for giving up some of your evening to do this. It's, 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 thanks, thanks for that. It's really good. Um, could, look, could you just uh, shine a light maybe on some of the initiatives um, that have been undertaken to improve sustainability of our operations in Australia and New Zealand? Absolutely, it would be a pleasure, and um, and it's always such a, such a pleasure to be part of these global connections because you hear all the wonderful work going on in other parts of the business, um, and get to share some of ours. So, um, look in New Zealand, we're trialling electric electric vans uh, that operate between some of our homes, along with installation of public charging stations for the electric vehicles. And um, obviously, this is a project that's aimed to contribute to improving the local air quality. Uh, in Australia, we've reduced our dependency on the electricity grid, so which has a high percentage of fossil fuel-based generation by installing rooftop solar across a lot of our care homes. Um, we're actively reducing our use of fossil fuels by reducing on-site gas use and increasing the, uh, the use of renewable electricity. Um, and we're also looking at climate change risk across our operations, so it's form informing key business decisions moving forward in all ways. Um, we have really clear recycling in all our corporate offices and. Um, and our people are really passionate about it as well. And, and I can certainly speak as well to the to the COVID-19 travel. Um, Australia is a big country and uh, of course Booper is in all states, so there's a significant reduction in travel. So how do we actually um, keep some of the mechanisms that we've used to stay in touch uh, as a way of move, working moving forward? Thank you, Zoe. Um, I'm going to ask you another question, uh, Zoe, so to get you, get you on point again. Uh, I mean, uh, obviously, the devastating bushfires in Australia, um, you know, I mean, were covered globally, clearly, and, and a lot of commentators, um, you know, have linked that with, with, with climate change. 
um, and it's prompted many Australians to speak out against um, against against the issue. I mean, how has the health sector responded to the bushfire crisis? Yeah, look, the past summer was like um, was unlike anything we've ever experienced in Australia, and uh, beyond the immediate need to respond to people directly impacted by the fires, we actually had bushfire smoke blanketing our capital cities and devastating scenes of native and domestic animal loss streaming across our TV screens nightly uh, for weeks and weeks. The government and the health sector recognise the need to really educate firstly the public on the effects of the bushfire smoke. We know from existing research that particles less than 2.5 microns in size, um, that that is what you get from bushfire smoke is associated with increased intensity and frequency of chronic disease symptoms and associated increased use of asthma medication and of course then you get increased respiratory hospital emergency admissions particularly for um, younger people with asthma or for older people as well. Um, and that poor air quality and the potential health issues meant that people in both bushfire areas but also the major CBDs, our major capital cities, were required to wear N95 or P2 masks, which obviously in turn has had significant implications for our PPE resources when it came to COVID-19 because a lot of them had already been used up. But I think apart from the physical effects, communities have experienced devastating loss and the health sector really um, has, to, has to respond in an ongoing way to mental health support for bushfire trauma. These fires have come after years of drought and many farmers uh, were really just holding on um, to lose, to then lose everything to fire. So while it's common for people to experience fear and anxiety and, and other severe reactions in the first week after a traumatic event, we anticipate um, not dissimilar to COVID-19, beyond the economic cost, the mental health impacts of the bushfires are going to be felt for months and years to come. And not just in the communities directly affected, but also those of us in the cities who watched uh, on televisions as towns um, were destroyed and brave, courageous firefighters lost uh, their lives um, and countless people lost everything um, and animals were destroyed and, and some pushed close to extinction. So while we rebuild the communities, we also need to ensure that these communities are provided with that mental health support, not just in the short term, but in ways that support equitable ongoing access, especially in those regional and remote areas and places where essential infrastructure and services could have been disrupted by the fires. Um, Bupa Australia continues to support our customers to have access to mental health support as part of our offerings, so apart from paying benefits for consultations with psychologists or counsellors as well as online cognitive behavioural therapy, we also provide a mental health navigation service um, which is a telephone service so Bupa members can find and access relevant support for their children who are dealing with mental health issues and in the broader community we continue to partner with and support organisations like Kids Helpline which is Australia's only free, private, confidential, 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week phone and online counselling service for young people aged 5 to 25. So we can continue to provide that ongoing support to those young people. Um, in our aged care homes, we actually had to evacuate 200 residents in Eden and Tumut and uh, Eastwood, Bensdale to other Bupa aged care homes because the, the homes were at risk of the fires themselves. I'm glad to say that, say that they were all safe. Um, and we also announced a range of measures to support employees, customers, residents and the community which included a $100,000 donation to the Australian Red Cross Disaster Relief and Recovery Fund, six months of premium relief for our eligible Bupa Health Insurance customers 
and a $10,000 donation to each local rural fire service and country fire authority where our care homes had been impacted um, because they worked so hard to keep them safe. And after 20 days, paid community service leave for employees who were involved in actually fighting the fires on the front uh, and that disaster relief. And um, we had an expansion of our workplace giving campaign to support the Red Cross relief and recovery appeal and our volunteer firefighting services with all employee donations being matched by Bupa until the end of January. Thank you, Zoe. That was amazing, amazing. And, uh, um, I, I, you know, Possibly a horrifying insight into what some of the future might hold for us if we don't if we don't make these changes. But also great to see us stepping up and, and supporting our communities and our people. I mean, I, I, I one of the things I the next topic is mental health, and I don't think any of us have been uh, immune to the effects of 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 of, of the lockdowns, etc., and COVID nineteen. I, um, I, I pretty much every day I I, I wear a I wear a T-shirt. Uh, um, I do wear other clothes as well, but, uh, but I wear <laughs> I usually a North a North Face T-shirt or a Patagonia T-shirt because my one of my big passions is the outdoors and 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 the environment and and hiking and nature and and I I, I haven't been able to do as much of it as 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 I, as I could and I just wanted Anna, you know, mental health has been impacted hugely by the pandemic and then. The, and the North Face stuff helps me remember what that's like. Sorry, that's what, what the link is. But the environment is so important for maintaining good mental health. Can you talk a little bit more about this? Yeah, absolutely, Nigel, Nigel. And I'm glad to see that you're wearing your North Face T-shirt today. With you. I have many. <laughs> <laughs> Not the same one every day. <laughs> Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so I think that it, it's exactly what you said, that during this pandemic, people really have valued even more the importance of being able to get outside and particularly if they can into some kind of green space in nature because it can be a kind of mental lifeline almost to, to help keep us sane and I was thinking about this and you know just at the very simplest le level when we use the expression, oh, I just need to clear my head, we don't think oh, I'll go for a walk around the office when we're in the office or I'll, I'll just walk around my kitchen. We get outside and there's actually a reason for that because being outside and particularly being in green space, even green space in a, in a more built up environment actually has pretty much immediate and also really positive effects on our brain chemistry and particularly our stress physiology. So there is a huge amount of research, and I won't go into all of it right now, um, but spending time in green space and in nature um, has absolutely huge environment, a huge impact on your kind of basically how your brain is functioning and how the chemicals are firing. So it lowers cortisol, um, it increases serotonin, which helps you feel good. It also has the physical effect of actually lowering your heart rate and also lowering your blood pressure, which obviously has a huge effect on your on your stress levels as well. And brain scans have shown that people who spend time in nature have reduced activity in the area of their brain, so the prefrontal cortex, which becomes more active when we either feel anxious, withdrawn, or have negative emotions. So it has a direct impact, and that's the reason why we feel better for being outside. And it's interesting to see that over the past decade or so, 
that more and more GPs are actually prescribing what's called um, ecotherapy to help treat both physical and mental health challenges that their patients have with kind of hugely proven results on people's well-being. I think the other thing about the relationship between being outside and our well-being is quite often when we get outside, we're doing some form of physical exercise, whether that's walking, whether it's running, whatever that looks like for you. And physical exercise has many benefits, but it has a huge benefit on our mental health as well. So it releases endorphins, again, helps regulate um, the stress physiology that we have. So it's it's absolutely critical. I just wanted to say a couple of things about the Beeper Foundation in this space as well, because we fund um, quite a few projects that um, really support mental health, but are all to do with getting out into a green environment. So a couple of those um, to mention. So one of them is a project called Bradford Breathing Spaces. So Bradford up in Yorkshire, and they do work with adults who have poor mental health and it helped, they help them connect with nature and it was inspired by many of you might have heard of the Japanese practice of forest bathing so and what they do is help people who are maybe isolated kind of really struggling with severe mental health challenges to do things that help them connect with nature and this helps people feel calmer positive able to kind of deal with kind of what life throws at them a bit better and then the last thing i wanted to mention um, was a project in Birmingham, which is called Martino Gardens. Um, and they offer outdoor activities um, for people who are struggling with their mental health um, as well. And they have specific activities they do outside. So gardening has hugely positive effects on people's mental health, photography, Tai Chi. And they found it really helps um, those people who might be struggling a bit, not just to kind of build their own kind of personal resilience but it builds kind of confidence but also connection as well so quite often kind of being outside builds that sense of connection and, and just thinking back to um you know the situation we're in at the moment so we've been lucky that in the uk that we've been able to go outside kind of keep our distance but actually it's one of the few ways that actually we've been able to connect with people recently and that's so important for our well-being as well Thanks, Anna. Cathy, in Spain, um, we've had a long-standing programme called Healthy Cities. Um, uh, as I understand it, seeking to improve the health of local communities um, while also benefiting the environment. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Definitely, because it links very much into what Anna's um, just said. Um, Healthy Cities was designed five years ago precisely as a programme that could help people make the link between health and the environment and how important it would be um, if we're going to talk about our health to also then advocate to have um, clean environments in our cities, basically. Um, you know, we had many doctors who were saying, hey, I would recommend my patients go out for a walk. It's good for their physical health. It's good for their mental health. But, you know, I'm worried that the risk of the air pollution is going to outweigh um, the benefits of their taking a walk, you know. So we're beginning to realize this was a, a pretty crazy situation to be in. Um, you had the Health Foundation who was beginning to say, look, you know, there are more people dying from air pollution each year than tobacco. You know, we were doing things about tobacco. Why aren't we doing something about this? 
Obviously, the WHO was already talking about the 7 million people who are dying each year prematurely um, from, from environmental problems. So this was a problem we were beginning to think we had to solve. And then the UN um, was beginning to talk about its new sustainability, sustainable development goals, the famous SDGs. And in this case, it was beginning to say, this time round, we need large companies to get involved. We need you to help us tackle the health challenges. And they're not just in the developing world. This isn't just a problem India has. This is happening all over the world. So our idea was basically to build a program that could advocate for healthy lifestyles, both from a personal point of view, and then also from a much more extended point of view, looking at the cities. And we wanted to work with people and also to work with companies so that they could make this connection with, hey, if I'm going to look after myself, I have to make sure that this city is ready for me to go out into. So the program was developed in a very simple way, really, with two main components. First, a health challenge, a bit like a three month sponsored walk, if you want. You know, we'll all walk for this cause, which is the more you walk, the more money Sanitas will donate to an urban regeneration project. And then the second part of the project was then identifying, working with local councils and identifying um, projects we could donate to that could involve creating green spaces or putting aside land to create walking ways to really protecting our cities so that there would be space um, created for everybody to go out. And the criteria we had, we said, you know, this money is for you to use. Our only criteria is that it be something tangible that all these people who've been doing this sponsored walk can go and see and say, you know, thanks to me, this project exists. And um, we decided to work with two groups of stakeholders. Um, first, we wanted to work with large companies because a lot of large companies like us were looking for a way to respond to the UN Global Challenge. And um, we also knew there would be a great entry route to reach many people. So, um, you know, we work with 40 companies. They bring together 160 employees. And we also had the support of the Olympic and the Paralympic committees and um, the, the Heart Foundation. And so with this platform in place, we then, you know, we had a great time. Everybody enjoyed competing one company against the other. But then we were able to approach local councils when it was all over and said, hey, you know, we've been walking for three months nonstop. We've got this money and we are this large group of people, this large group of companies, and we would like to affect change. And we would like this change to happen in our cities. And we don't want it for us. We're not asking it to be for our companies. We just would like a project that protects the environment and is there as a sort of legacy for our communities from now on in the future. And I think it's as many people say, you know, politicians respond well if they see there's a big demand and they see that demand gets organized. Um, the first few years, the projects were smaller. It's obviously not easy. You know, you can go and give money, but then they have to get planning permission to do this. But I think that five years on, a lot of our cities are in this same place. And that is the realization that we need to make our cities uh, more human friendly again. And in fact, our next project, we're hoping to develop it with the city of Madrid. Um, they're hoping to develop 75 kilometers of forest around the city. And uh, if you've ever been to Madrid, you'll know it's a desert. So, you know, even when we have been able to come out of lockdown, 
there haven't been that many places for us to go. And I think, you know, um, if healthy cities, a bit like digital, really, if it was already on the right track before, I think it's definitely tuning into what people expect of a company like Bupa in this post-COVID time. That's great, Cathy. Thank you. And, and you know, the, a few years ago now, the, 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 the balance shifted where, where most of the world's population are in cities now, not in, in rural communities, and it's, it's so important. Thank you very much. I'm going to come to Zoe now for the penultimate question, and then I'll throw open a question to the whole of our panellists. Um, Zoe, drawing on your uh, scientific background here, you know, um, the medical community has long known uh, about the potential impacts of pollution. Um, what are your views on the health impacts of climate change? And do you think COVID has a part to play in this or not? And, and how big? It'd be good to hear um, what, what your thoughts are on that. So, yes, absolutely. In Australia, we are facing uh, multiple hazards um, as a result of climate change. Uh, and that includes things such as increasing temperatures. So last summer, we had multiple days in cities that were over 50 degrees Celsius. Um, so that's extreme uh, heat waves for days on end. Um, we are experiencing extreme weather events uh, such as floods and cyclones that, uh, that are worse than ever before. And some significant water supply impacts that I touched on previously so um, we you know we have many areas of the country that are in drought um, and these actually absolutely impact health and well-being um, particularly we see the increased heat related um, uh, issues such as um, uh, impacting elderly people and those who have pre-existing cardiovascular disease or respiratory disease um, and uh, and children as well are particularly vulnerable to, to those extreme heat events. Um, we see we've been seeing injuries and deaths from damage and exposure to pollutants in the extreme weather events and natural disasters and an exacerbation of chronic disease particularly obviously respiratory conditions like um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease and asthma uh, and an increased vulnerability to respiratory tract infections such as influenza and obviously COVID-19 due to the long-term exposure um, to air pollution and obviously the bushfire impact as well. Um, and we're seeing, interestingly, a change in the demographic and some of the infectious diseases, so increased um, uh, disease from situations from different vectors, so waterborne diseases during flooding, uh, foodborne diseases due to the heat um, uh, and migration of uh, mosquitoes from north to south that bring the diseases with them, so seeing some changes in, in those areas as well. I mean, these hazards and their consequences are also likely to exacerbate and increase the prevalence of mental health issues, which you were just touching on before. Um, we're certainly seeing this in Australia, as I mentioned, during the bushfires, but more broadly, um, the impact now with COVID-19. For example, in Australia, uh, which I mentioned, but we partner with Kids Helpline. Um, and and um, since March, the contact uh, for children and young people seeking help from support from Kids Helpline, so this is after the bushfires, has increased from 6,500 contacts per week to 9,000. So that's a young person distressed reaching out to Kids Helpline every 60 seconds every day. And recent modelling in Australia is predicting that there might be a 25% increase in suicides in response to the impacts of COVID-19, and it's likely that 30% of those are going to be amongst young people. 
Um, so to add to this, a large part of Australia has been in drought for many years uh, and extreme weather and lack of rainfall places a huge strain on our regional and remote farming communities and their families and the suicide rates in these very remote areas of Australia is more than double the major cities and people living in remote areas of course also have the lack of access to healthcare so they have the double bind. Um, so I think these, re these events really reinforce and demonstrate the effects of climate change are wide-reaching um, and one of our biggest climate, cha climate change risks is, is impact on mental health and how we support resilience in our communities. And I think we've already touched on um, and some of the other um, areas of BUPA, but the changes that COVID-19 has actually brought to the healthcare system may actually assist in addressing some of those, in particular the telehealth, which will potentially allow um, much greater access to support for mental health in particular, but also specialist connections into the cities. Thanks, thanks, Zoe. Uh, <clears throat> so, final question, and then I'll I'll, I'll wrap up. And and uh, um, we did talk about this. I mean, everybody's you know, hopefully, lots of people listen to this podcast on World Environment Day. But also, I think all of us want to play our part. And uh, I just like to throw it open to the panelists. Do you have any advice for people on what? they can do personally to take steps to improving their individual carbon footprints at this time? So, three things. So, I'd say first of all, um, try to be a thoughtful consumer, which actually generally means consuming less. Do you really need to buy what you're buying, particularly kind of cheap throwaway items? Um, think about, if you haven't got it already, getting green energy. Um, because the more of us who buy it, the cheaper it will become and the more um, demand there will be um, for people to supply this. Um, think about maybe reducing or even stopping your meat consumption and also potentially cutting down dairy consumption as well. And then just little habits about obviously recycling, leaving stuff on the water that you use. So just just being conscious about what you're doing. So that's the first thing. The second thing is stay local. So we've all been forced to stay local at the moment, but actually there are some things that we can keep doing. And yes, we'll need to travel to go on holiday, maybe see family and friends, but actually we should be thinking about, can we do more, more stuff locally to reduce travel, but also the stuff we buy as well. So buying from local producers, buying from local shops so that you're not getting in your car to get stuff, but also through the supply chains and um, that we're reducing the amount of mileage that is used. So really thinking about buying locally and um, staying local as well. And then the last thing is to be green. And I mean that literally. Um, so garden and actually kind of put something back and create biodiversity. Um, I have a really small garden, but actually plant as many flowers as you can so that the bees can come in. Even if you don't have a, gar a garden, you've got a little bit of outside space on the balcony, you can still do huge amounts with vertical gardening, growing your own vegetables, growing flowers, and all of that really helps with um, biodiversity and actually maybe offsetting some of the damage that we're doing. So be green, literally. Brilliant. Thank you. I couldn't really add much more to that. I think that those are great um, uh, pieces of advice. And I think it's very much like our kids tell us when they come from back from school. It's the three R's, isn't it? You know, reduce, reuse and recycle. I think that is just, you know, we should never forget that and do that with them. And like Anna says, you know, be green. 
I think um, the only thing I would add is so it's coming into winter in um, in Australia, so we're obviously all uh, rugging up and turning on our heaters, and so um, all in our houses in um, in in physical distancing. Um, so we're really mindful to kind of think about dressing for the temperature before you turn the heating on, uh, as a way of of using less energy in that way. And I think you know really uh, reflecting on how much travel um, we were all doing and how much of that is necessary, given how we've now been able to use technology to to stay connected and, and be able to uh, communicate and do our work really effectively and reduce our carbon footprint by really driving and flying less. Great. Great practical stuff, everybody. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. Um, huge thanks uh, to our panellists. Uh, a lively discussion, I think, and, and very informative. I learned, I learned quite a few things today myself. So thank you, everyone. It was uh, great to, to hear from you. I think, uh, you know, when I studied this stuff, it's, it's gosh, it's over 30 years, 30 years ago now. I, you know, the problems, uh, the problems have been known for a long time. You know, the, the, the causes of, of climate change have been known really since the 1970s. And, and what I used to get a bit depressed about was the I couldn't see what the solutions were. The difference today is we know the solutions. We know how to solve this problem. Mankind knows how to fix it. And it's it's when science, policy, and business come t together, it's a very powerful force to create significant change, and we have a part to play in that at Bupa. Um, no one would have wanted emissions to be lowered in this way, but it it sort of gives you a little bit of a, a vision what a what a, a you know a carbon free future or less carbon future might look like for us, and and it's 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 something that could be uh, is very attractive. So the current situation could be a powerful catalyst leading to long-lasting change and contribute to a more sustainable future for our species and all the others who share this beautiful planet. What has not changed is that it remains up to us to do it. So I'll close by saying, happy World Environment Day. I hope this podcast has given you some food for thought. Thank you and stay safe. <laughs>